With Finley ill, Talion's leadership unknown, and Aridane's thirst for violence sweeping the realms, each sunrise feels precious, every day without progress, a waste. Yet, even pushing hard, it took me two days to trek back through Talion and across the tree bridge into the Western Vale, and another three still to track down Peridon amidst the sprawling, changing wilderness where most magical people and creatures now reside or did before Aridane began capturing and slaughtering them. The Whispers here are nomadic, annoyingly adept at covering their tracks, and the only other time I'd spoken with Peridon was the day I tried to persuade his circle of friends to help me infiltrate the prison compound I've now returned to destroy. That's a quote from Wildbound by Elaine Audrey Becker. This is YA Book Chat, and I'm your host, Leah Stuhler. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of YA Book Chat. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Well, if you listened to last week's episode on Forestborn, I have a treat for you because today I am actually going to be speaking with the author of Forestborn, Elaine Audrey Becker. And we're going to talk a little bit about Forestborn, but also about the second book in this duology, which is called Wildbound, which will be released on August. 30th. So you're getting a double feature, which is not something I normally do, but I really wanted to do it with this duology. So uh, yeah, so we are going to get started. Um, Welcome to YA Book Chat, Elaine. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I was just listening to you say all those nice things and smiling, (laughs) trying not to interrupt. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, I always, I so love doing author interviews and getting to pick the author's brains about what they were thinking and finding out what their process is about everything. So it's great. I'm excited, especially on books like this that I really, really enjoyed a lot. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love getting to chat about it. Um, and and be warned, if you ask me about process, I could talk for hours. So, um, you know, <laughs> cut me off at any point. Okay. <laughs> thank you for enabling me. No problem. <laughs> well, why don't you start by telling everyone a little about yourself? Well, about me. That always feels way harder than talking about the books. I can't <laughs> hide behind the page. Um <laughs> Let's see. I so I'm the author of Forest Born and Wildbound, like you said. I work as an editor as well, both on a freelance basis and also I have a background of working in publishing. Let's see. I did my undergrad at Vassar College, best college ever, uh, <laughs> where I studied a lot of old things, a lot of history. Um, also learned a lot about great words like heteronormative. (laughs) Um, I lived in Scotland for a little while where I was getting a master's degree, although that was unfortunately interrupted by COVID, um, as happened with so many people. And I don't know, outside of this sort of resume-like spiel that I'm giving, I, let's see, I'm a big animal person. I have fully embraced my identity as a cat lady. Nice. I yeah. <laughs> I am Thank the same. So you. I oh yeah. I, I am right There's there no with shame you. here. Nope. <laughs> nope. I can recite way more of the Lord of the Rings movies than is probably socially acceptable. 
No, um, that is fantastic. And, uh, <laughs> good. Wow. I'm in great company. You like really what else are. can I say? It'll be so welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, that's probably, I'll cut it off there. I mean, there's okay. a little intro to me. <laughs> All right. No, that's great. No, I love that. Um, have you seen that Amazon prime is doing a new Lord of the Rings TV show? Oh, I, I've done a deep dive. Okay, good. <laughs> I have seen and I, I'm so, I don't know what to think. I mean, I, like how much faith do we put in a Jeff Bezos pet project? Then again, I probably shouldn't I say that. We love Jeff Bezos and Amazon and thank you for selling my books. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I will be cautiously optimistic and try not to be my usual cynical self. <laughs> No, that's a good, that's a good way to go in. I, that's kind of how I'm approaching it as well. Like I'm excited, but also kind of like, I'm not so sure. Cause this is something I love very, very much. And I don't want to see it destroyed. So, you know, I know, I totally I know. Get it. <laughs> uh, well, we'll just have to, uh, I don't know, hope. Yes. <laughs> so what was it like when you published your first novel, Forest Born? And just so everybody listening knows, Forest Born, which is the first book in this duology, is Elaine's debut novel. So what was that like for you publishing that? Yeah, it was wild. I mean, I I am one of those people that was fortunate enough to know from very young age, what I wanted to do, which was, you know, tell stories and write books. Um, Unfortunate, though, I guess that I chose something that's very difficult to (laughs) achieve in a very long process. But, you know, that's something that I had as a goal and a dream for years and years and years. And so to be able to actually walk into a bookstore and and see my book on the shelf and Mm -hmm connect with readers and people like you who have read something that I wrote. I mean, that's still kind of surreal and awesome for me. And I'm sure that's a, a pretty common part of the debut experience, but it's true. It's, um, it's very special. Yeah. Well, having, I'm curious too, how this was for you, because you kind of have a different perspective on it with publishing a book because you've mm-hmm. been an editor. So you've been on the other side of it too. <laughs> so, I mean, that's really interesting to me because I had interviewed um, a different author uh, with her debut novel. And she said, you know, there were things that kind of surprised her along the way that she didn't know about. And, but with you, like you were kind of already there in that world. So was it as you expected it to be or were, I mean, did that kind of make it a little bit more of a smooth publishing experience for Mm. you having worked in that area? Yeah. I mean, I would say having worked in publishing was probably the best education I could have gotten into the industry and how it works. Um, And also just supremely helpful for my improving my writing craft as well. But um, I think a way that kind of puts it in perspective in terms of being on the editor side versus the author side is when you're publishing a book, maybe around 95% of conversations about someone's book will happen in-house, meaning in the publishing house, mm. completely outside of the author's sphere of awareness. <laughs> they have okay. no idea that their book is, you know, being talked about and when and in, in what capacity. And so for me, having had the opportunity to sort of be part of that 95% for so many books was so helpful in just learning, you know, how does the process look? Who are the different people and departments that are 
contributing to having this go from a document on in Word to a published book on the shelf and um, how do people in this industry talk about books? You know, I just want to talk about the writing and the magic, but <laughs> there's also things like marketing and yeah. <laughs> comparison titles and, you know, all that kind of thing. And also working as an editor, getting to help other authors make their books the best that they could be and, uh, and speaking with other editors on staff about um, the kinds of things they were identifying as strengths and weaknesses in the manuscripts they were working on. I mean, all of that, I think, really made me a better writer um, from a, a craft perspective as well in, in figuring out, you know, here are some things that I should be trying to uh, <laughs> build toward incorporating into my own writing. So it was uh, it was very helpful from an educational standpoint. And um, I'm sure it did make the process smoother having that transition. Was it weird? Like I was kind of, I'm thinking about this as you're talking and thinking <laughs> I'm an editor for a blog. And so I edit blog mm-hmm. posts. And so when I, sometimes when I'm writing my own, like it's, I'll write it. And then I do go back and look at it with my editor <laughs> perspective, but I still always like, after it's published, like after the blog owner publishes it, I go back and look at it to see if she changed anything. <laughs> Cause I like, mm-hmm. so it's kind of weird. I mean, is it kind of like that for you? Like, was it a weird thing? Like editing your own piece because you have that experience <laughs> and then like looking at the edits you might've gotten from the publisher and been like, mm, I don't know. That's not how I would have done it. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I am very, very lucky in that I have both an agent and an editor who are very, um, they give amazing editorial feedback. And I'm someone who definitely craves editorial feedback. And I think that we are aligned in the kinds of things that we look for and value. And they really kind of get what I'm trying to do. So their edits are always so helpful in, in, in allowing me to actually put what I'm trying to do onto the page in an effective way. But um, but it is weird having that duality in my brain, you know, that the editor side of me is very calm and confident and collected. And then the writer side is my neurotic, like, oh my God, it's <laughs> terrible. No one's going to like it. What am I doing? <laughs> That's that side of my brain. So it's a sort of um, back and forth Jekyll and Hyde situation. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to explain Jekyll and Hyde to my son yesterday because we were in the car <laughs> listening to Sirius XM radio and I had the Broadway station on and a song from Jekyll and Hyde came on and he was like, explain this to me. <laughs> like, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, that totally, I think that totally makes sense. I would mm-hmm. think it would be kind of like a, this half of my brain wants to do this, but this half of my brain wants to do this. And it's a little, a little yeah. crazy in there. <laughs> At least I have learned not to communicate said, uh, let's say anxieties yes. to the other parties per se. Now that I've, I've been <laughs> on the other side, I know how to, uh, to when to hold back. <laughs> <laughs> Very helpful. <laughs> Well, last week I covered the first book in this duology, Forest Born, on the podcast. But just in case I have new listeners today who didn't hear last week's episode or and maybe aren't familiar with it, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about what Forest Born is like and then give us a little hint as to what Wildbound is like as well. 
Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for featuring Boris Warren. That's really nice of you. Um, of and for people who don't know what it's about, it follows Rora, who is a shape-shifting spy for the king. And she, along with her older brother and one of the princes in the royal family, has to confront her traumatic past and journey through this dangerous, unpredictable, magical wilderness <laughs> in the hopes of finding this stardust, which is going to be the cure for um, this magical illness that is ravaging the land and also in an attempt to save her best friend's life because he has caught this illness as well. For the record, I did think of this long before COVID, <laughs> but uh, it's very <laughs> odd timing <laughs> having the two intersect. <laughs> That's okay. Sometimes that just <laughs> happens. You know, you're like, but I swear I thought of it first. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I thought of a pandemic first. But um, yeah. And then Wild Bound, you know, in a non-spoilery way, that's the that's the finale. It's the the second and final book in the duology. And I like to think of it as if you like Forest Born, then just kind of take the things that you liked about Forest Born and make them bigger. And then hopefully <laughs> that's Wild Bound. We'll see if other people uh, agree, but um, Black Wine and that. Wild Bound. Yeah, I, okay. I agree awesome. with that. So. <laughs> Thank you. Solid endorsement. Um, so what did you tell me about kind of how this idea came about for this story? Hmm. It's interesting. I would say it came together in a couple of different ways. One is I had these two images in my head for whatever reason. One of them was of this girl who was a shapeshifter who worked for a king. And I knew, I knew three things. I knew that she had a deep connection to a forest. I knew that she felt alone. And I knew that the king was a good king. And then this other image that I had was, I have no idea why, but was of someone taking these giant vines and sort of sweeping them across the canopy of a forest in the hopes of um, getting this stardust, which has been, which is lying on top of the trees to come shimmering down. And then I, I ended up pairing those with a couple of things that thematically I, I knew I wanted to incorporate. I mean, one was I knew I wanted to write a book about trauma and specifically not necessarily the events themselves, but how an experience like that or a set of experiences can shape the people uh, that, that you become, you know, and continue to shape you months and, and years mm -hmm. after the fact. And I knew I wanted to write a book that featured nature at the forefront mm -hmm. a lot as well. Um, I wanted it to, instead of fading into the backdrop, I, I wanted it to function more like a character itself. And uh, I guess all that sort of mixed together into what is now Forest Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I love that too. Like, I think that's one of the reasons that I really enjoy this duology so much is because I myself, I'm a very big, like nature person. Like I yeah. love camping and being outdoors and in nature and going on hikes and just kind of like soaking up all of that outdoorsy mm -hmm. bit in nature. And so you know, that's one reason why this story appealed to me so much, but then adding the magical element to it. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, anytime that there's like a dark 
creepy kind of forest with magical nice. weird creatures in it. I mean, I am yep. there. Like that's just give it to me. So um I, I mean agree. yeah. I mean one of one of the my favorite elements of the book is the magical creatures that um ha- are born out of the rupturing and forest born. I mean, you have you've created these creatures in the veil with we have bats with poisonous venom marrow sheep who eat bones <laughs> i mean the sheep eat people's bones yeah that was one of my weirder ones <laughs> <laughs> but it's great because it's just like it's a, you know you would think how sure some of these animals might be easy to make evil right like a bat okay that's fine people think of them that way and then you've got, uh, you know, wolves that can camouflage themselves, big cats, you know, like cougars that have these hypnotic eyes, but the sheep, yep. you think like, <laughs> it always really... comes back to the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, they're like these soft, fluffy creatures who are kind of actually yep. stupid. And yet <laughs> you've managed to turn them into this like vicious beast that Rora and Helos <laughs> are scared of because they will eat their bones. Like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So talk to me kind of about how like these creatures developed, especially the sheep. Yeah. I mean, I, I would start by saying the, let's see, the topography in this book. So the landscape, the flora, the fauna, those were all pretty deeply inspired by the North American wilderness. Okay. And so when I was trying to figure out which animals and what wildlife to put into the, the Western Vale, that magical wilderness that they travel through, I, uh, that region was inspired by the Rocky Mountain region. And so I would first sort of think of animals that, uh, that, that live in, in that region, whether it's in the U.S. or north of the border and in the Canadian Rockies. Um, and then try to think of a, a magical twist to add to them. Um, and then sometimes, not always, but I, I would sometimes try to make it an attribute or an asset that maybe their real life counterparts would find helpful. So in a very roundabout way with the marrow sheep, <laughs> I was thinking about, um, first of all, bighorn sheep. I mean, that's the real life counterpart as one would guess um and I was thinking all right when it's the riding season the males of course ram their heads together Uh wouldn't it be helpful if there was a way of sort of strengthening the bones in their (laughs) horns and so um I decided to make them these scavengers of of the veil um again that that magical wilderness where they go around hunting bone, which they then eat and in doing so strengthen their horns. Um, I don't know why that happened, but it did. Um, <laughs> I and, love uh, it. I, I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, it's great because it's totally unexpected and kind of comes out of nowhere. Cause you know, and it, it's funny when we have the scene where we first see them in forest born because Rora of course knows, but um, Wesley and doesn't. And she's like, no, no, stay away from those things. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, Oh, <laughs> you know, cause he kind of yeah, gets surprisingly, so. <laughs> surprisingly bad. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like land vultures. 
I love it. It's so creative and fun. It makes, you know, it's just one of the elements that keeps things interesting. It keeps you wanting yeah. more. So, well, I'm very glad that uh, it made you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to talk about some of the characters in the story. These characters, I absolutely love them. They're all very strong. They're fantastic. And what I found fun was that it's two sets of siblings. So we have the two brothers, Wesley and Finley, who are princes, and then our two shifting, shapeshifter siblings, Rora <laughs> and Helos. And all four of them, like they each have a strong connection to their sibling, but then they have these strong connections to each other as well, yeah. like as a group of four. <laughs> so they're intertwined uh, really well. And they, each of them kind of has their own struggles and triumphs that they go through. And then intertwined with that, we have two love stories as well. Oh, yeah. So, um, it's great. I mean, so talk to me about what it was like developing the characters individually, but also kind of having to intertwine them together because they have such dynamic relationships with each other. Yeah. So I would say characters are always my way into a story. It's the first thing that I go to when I am developing a new story or a, a new world. And it is the thing that excites me the most about uh, any, any book that I'm writing. Um, and then in terms of the way that I start developing them, I tend to first try to identify their sort of core emotions and figure out who they are as people. You know, is this a lonely person or a angry person or a cheerful person or a what have you? Um, so when it came to Rora and Helos and, and Finley and Weslin, um, part of it was just, you know, imagining the way that they would have grown up in their royal household versus very much not. Yes. <laughs> um, different. You know, the sort of orphaned <laughs> wilderness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then another part of that was going back to the way that I sort of conceived of this story. I knew that I wanted each of them to have this traumatic event or series of events that had deeply impacted them mm -hmm. in some way um, and that they were working through. So in the case of Rora and Helos and Weslin, those events are primarily in the past. And then Finley is the exception, you know, the one that we see sort of having to work through this and deal with this kind of thing in the present. But I don't know, I just, over the years of working on this duology, I just got to know them and as people. And it was just the best thing ever. I mean, I think it sounds maybe weird to say, but it's true, which is that for me, they're all, they're all real people mm -hmm. in my brain. Um, you know, they're like friends. And so it was just great getting to know them and figure out who they are. And uh, in terms of their love stories, I mean, for whatever reason, that was something that I knew from day one, I wrote down their names <laughs> on a sheet of paper and I started to think at their most basic levels, who are they as people? And then I was like, yep, that one is in love with that one. And this mm -hmm. one's going to be in love with this one. And uh, <laughs> it just made so much sense to me thinking about who they were are as people. It made so much sense to me that they would, these certain pairings would gravitate towards one another mm -hmm. and be able to 
offer things that the other one wants or or needs whether or not they know it yeah (laughs) and who doesn't love a double romance I mean (laughs) oh I know it's fantastic I was like you know I started reading it and I was realizing and I was like Ooh, this is great. I get two romances, not just one. This is awesome. That's so fun. I don't, I mean, I don't really, I don't, I can't really think of many other YA books that I've read where that's happened. So uh, usually it's just, yeah. So, I mean, for me, at least I haven't read many others. So it's usually just like trying to navigate through the one main relationship in the story. But in this case, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, bonus. We get two. Awesome. (laughs) It was so fun to write. They are very different uh, people and very different couples, (laughs) different stages of relationships. Yes. Yeah. Two, I mean, two different tropes in a way there too. So (laughs) yeah, it's a lot of fun. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but yeah, but they are great. (laughs) I wanted to also talk about Rora and Helos as shapeshifters. I love that they, you know, they have the ability to shape into different humans, which is really cool, kind of creepy, but also really cool at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) But something else that I love is that they can also each shift into animals, but they all, they both have like three animals and they Mm -hmm. shift into them when the first time, like based off of need, which I thought was really unique because it wasn't. In one of them, we Finley, we get to see in Wildbound, we get to see his shift into his third animal for the first time, <laughs> which is really cool because it wasn't just like, here, this is what it is because they weren't just already established. We get to see it also, mm. which is really fun. Mm-hmm. And I did not see that animal coming, but I thought it was oh, good. Yeah. I Beautiful. was like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? So <laughs> it was great. I'm, I'm just curious if, okay. So a couple of the animals have very specific needs. Like I totally make sense why you chose them, but I was wondering if there was a reason behind that they have three animals or is it just like kind of a random right. number you came up with? Or Right. Yeah. I mean, the number three <laughs> was largely random in as much as three can be random in a culture <laughs> that sort of views it as a magical number. But um the focus for me was less on where do I cap their animal forms at and more on just wanting at a fundamental level, wanting there to be some sort of limit mm-hmm. to their shape-shifting abilities. I always feel like magic has to have some sort of boundary to push up against yeah. and some sort of limitation because if it doesn't, then it can just, it's too easy a catch all and it's yeah. too perfect. And, you know, I think that's boring if, if a character is, is in a dangerous situation and automatically, you know, going in, they're going to be okay. Cause their magic can do everything. I mean, yeah. <laughs> tension gone. <Right>. <laughs> um, so I, I just wanted there to be some sort of limit. And I really liked the idea as well. I mean, you were touching on the fact that they don't, get to choose which three animals mm-hmm. they can uh, shift into. It is determined for them on a sort of instinctive level in a moment of greatest need. However, their bodies define moment yeah. of greatest need, which is different for Helos mm-hmm. than it is for Aurora. Um, I liked that idea that you couldn't just say, you know, it'd be great to be a bird today. Right? <laughs> it'd be super helpful <laughs> to have, um, I don't know, wolf jaws. I liked the idea that 
it, their shifting abilities would be a gift and this great strength and also mm-hmm. a challenge for them uh, at various times and, and in different ways. Yeah. And I really liked seeing the times when they were a challenge for them, you know, cause they yeah. would get in different situations, you know, and I would hear Roar would say, I can feel the feathers coming up, but I have to keep them down. You know, like yeah. she has to, both of them, they have to, you know, really control the instinct to shift in some situations, mm-hmm. um, which it's not like, cause I've read other stories before with shapeshifters and it was just like an automatic, okay, you know, to easy, yeah. easy on and off. And so I like that they, this was more of a challenge for them and something that they had to really work to control as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess because they're both very emotional characters in different ways, um, if they're, if their shifting is triggered in part by feeling strong emotions, it's just an interesting and exciting dynamic for me to play around with. Yeah. Cool. Well, we did mention COVID a little bit earlier. And so, (laughs) you know, it's like you said, I mean, with, so you've got the, we have the sickness, the illness, the pandemic that takes place in this duology. Um, So there's that, but, you know, in addition to that, we have the theme in this book that kind of goes along with what's been happening with COVID the past couple of years, you know, we have this theme of hope and how to have strength and hard times. The characters, these poor characters, man, they go through <laughs> so much. Like my, my, my poor sad children. <laughs> it's like they had hardships, at least, you know, Aurora and Helos had all these hardships in the past that they are still dealing with. But then we have all these things in the present that take place. Yeah. That's just a lot for anybody um you know but then at the end they're they're still standing they come out stronger for it and I really feel like it's a great message and something that's gonna bring hope for everybody with what's been happening these past couple Mm -hmm. of years and just in general so what was it like putting these themes together to kind of get that message out because I know you wrote you were writing this kind of during the pandemic also Mm -hmm. yeah um I mean, Forest Born pre-pandemic was, it definitely ended up being the book that I needed to write at the time that I wrote it. And then Wildbound um, was challenging in a whole different way um, because as you're saying, I wrote that during the height of the pandemic when all of us were dealing with this intense period of uncertainty and isolation and fear and anger and you know just take all the negative emotions and mix them up (laughs) and that was 2020 and a lot of 2021 um and it was interesting I mean some days writing wild bound during that kind of time um which was very tumultuous for me in a covid and non-covid sense it was some days it was cathartic. Um, mm-hmm. It felt like escapism or a way to reunite with these characters who, as I said, feel like friends um, uh, or just get the things that I was feeling onto the page in some way. And then other days it was hard, you know, it, yeah. uh, it can be hard to write a story that hinges on hope in hard times Mm. when you maybe aren't feeling as much hope yourself in reality. 
but I guess it, it maybe comes back to the fact that I, <laughs> whether or not, I'd be curious to know if other writers have said this, but I tend to go to my own books for comfort, whether or not that is typical. <laughs> I do. Um, I write these stories for myself in addition to other people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think being able to try to tap into this mindset, um, even on the days that uh, I didn't want to, or where it felt more challenging, that ended up being very, uh, a very rewarding experience, ultimately, to have to sort of balance out the, um, you know, the hard times that like all of us went through. Yeah. Was, so, I mean, in addition to going through COVID when you were writing Wild Bound, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, when it comes to like series writing yeah. and if it's like as an author and I know every author is different. So I was wondering for you, like what your style was, if you're more of a plotter or a pantser. And when you wrote Forest Born, if you knew like, this is how Wild Bound is going to end yeah. or was it kind of harder writing Wild Bound? Cause you're like, now I got to wrap this up and I'm not sure where to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> I was sort of laughing to myself when you were asking if I was a pantser or a plotter because I'm like, I wish you could see my four outlines that I have at all times. <laughs> I am an obsessive plotter for sure. But um, yeah, I, I would say it was interesting with Wildbound. I always knew how the story would end mm. and where the characters would end up. I knew that from the very beginning stages of developing Forestborn, but because I spent so long reworking and reimagining Forestborn and it, and changing it in a lot of ways, then when it came time to write Wildbound, I realized I could still hit the ending that I wanted, but the way of getting there <laughs> shifted <laughs> dramatically. And, uh, and that was challenging because suddenly I had so many different threads. There were plot threads and parts of character arcs and, and, and their romantic relationships and then shape-shifting teases and elements and all of it that I had to fit into this one book, which I also decided to um, divide the POV in, which I did not do in, yeah. in Forestborn. Um, and that provided, it was super um, rewarding in a lot of ways, but also challenging because all those different threads that I had were often dependent on certain characters being there or you know taking place in certain geographical locations mm-hmm. and then I had to either fit it into the Aurora POV or the Helos POV and <laughs> yeah there were days when I was like this book will never get done I am doomed <laughs> myself but I think I got there in the end in a way that if no one else you know at least I am happy with it and <laughs> at the end of the day that's all you could control that's true. I mean, I, I could tell you as a reader, from my perspective, I was very happy with it too. And oh, I'm sure great. other readers That's will be. So. <laughs> That's it really is- exciting. Honestly, I have not talked to almost anyone who has read Wild oh. Mound yet. So I'm like immensely relieved. I'm going to take oh, this right to the bank. <laughs> good. I'm glad. I'm glad that that's helpful. You know, um, when I got to the end of Forest Born, I was like, okay, 
how is this going to go on the second book? So then when I saw that we had the two separate POVs, I was like, okay, great. This is, this is going to be good. This is going to make sense. going to be really helpful. And it worked really well because like you said, they end up in different geographical locations. So we have to know what's going on in one versus the other. And sometimes, I don't know, sometimes when I read books that have multiple POVs, it gets to be a lot, especially if there's more than Mm. two. POVs. (laughs) POVs. <laughs> yeah. At least this one, you only had two. Um, <laughs> I mean, there was one book, like, I love this series. Like it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite series, mm-hmm. but there's one character who like, we need to have a perspective from somebody in this one specific location, Yeah, but the character who we get is kind of annoying. And so yeah. it's, I'm like, could you not have picked somebody different to tell this side from? I, like, <laughs> I so know what you're saying. And this is probably the single greatest intimidation factor that I had once I decided to split the POV uh, into two, which is that, you know, you never want, as a writer or a reader, you never want to have a situation that we all end up having in various books where when one chapter ends and then you discover the next chapter switches POV, you never want to have that gut reaction be disappointment, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe a little bit of like, oh, but we ended on such an exciting place and I want to know what happens next, but you don't want to be like, oh God, I got to listen to this person again for another 15 pages. Um, I mean- so that was, that's so intimidating to me as a writer and there, there are authors who are so incredible mm-hmm. at, at, uh, managing to make each POV um, equally captivating for me, but um, it's a scary thing to try to try to pull off. Oh, I'm sure I can imagine. I would say like you pulled it off successfully. I mean, with both of them, I feel like it worked really well and it was I never, when I was reading it, thought, oh, again, (laughs) it was great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) And that other series I read too, again, it's actually one of my favorite series. It's just that one book. And I understood it because I was like, we we have to have somebody in this room with this group Mm -hmm. of people giving us their perspective. And it can't be this person because that Mm -hmm. wouldn't work. So it has to be her but you know, it's yeah, fine. it's like you're feeling the author's hand in it too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seeing how it serves like, as a logistical tool more yes. than uh, yes. an authentic part of the story. But I let it go because I loved the story and the book so much, and it was only in that one book, like out oh, of out of four books, suffering. it was just the one. So yeah. <laughs> Well, I just want to say thank you for being here. Both of these books are so fantastic. And um, I'm so glad that you could come on and chat about these today. And for everyone listening today, um, if you have not yet read Forest Born, the first book in this duology, go and read that because you have plenty of time. It's June and Wildbound doesn't come out until August 30th. I did purposely schedule this interview early to give you guys time to go and read. So (laughs) you all need to do that. Why don't you tell everybody, you know, where about your website or where they could follow you on social media? Yeah, you can always reach out through my website, which is I think just elainebecker.com, the most basic website that I could have come up with. But um, (laughs) I am on Instagram probably more than I should be. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) there I am. uh, It's just Elaine A. Becker, Elaine with a Y. Now I'm like 
it's like I'm speaking to a bank <laughs> spelling my name out but Elaine is the Y and I will say I am planning on doing uh, maybe in July um a read-along on my Instagram for Forest Born as a sort of let's all read or reread the book together and have some little behind the scenes chats about it in the lead up to Wildbound so if anyone listening wants to partake in that please come say hi that's fun. I may reread it and do that along with you. Please do. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. And um, I will put links in the show notes for today to Elaine's website and to her Instagram and also where you can purchase both of these books. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And thank you to all of you, my listeners, as always. And we will chat again soon. Today's episode featured the books Forest Born and Wildbound by Elaine Audrey Becker. A special thank you to Elaine for coming on the podcast and chatting with me today. And also thank you to Giselle Gonzalez at Tortine for setting up this interview. Be sure to follow YA Book Chat on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get your episodes as soon as they are available. Have you checked out the YA Book Chat Patreon yet? You should. There are plenty of perks for all members. YA Book Chat was created by, is hosted, and edited by me, Leah Stuller.